Unfortunately, when kids get found out, their first reaction is not always to come clean. Okay, those kids are kind of cute, aren't they? But trying to cover up a wrongdoing isn't really a laughing matter. Especially when we try and do it with God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command in the Garden of Eden and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they tried to cover it up. But they soon learned that it was, impo- it was impossible to hide from God. So I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3 uh, this morning. I'm going to break into the, to the incident in verse 7 down to verse 13. So Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them, that's both Adam and Eve, were opened. And they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. When the serpent tempted Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he promised that her eyes would be opened. But this experience, when it happened, was far from pleasant. Verse 7, they realised that they were naked. As the scales fell from their eyes, they saw something that they weren't expecting. They saw both their physical, but also their spiritual nakedness. And it was deeply uncomfortable. Before this act of disobedience, this wasn't a problem at all. Remember back in chapter 2? Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They'd never ever done anything wrong and so they had nothing to hide from each other. They'd also never been hurt or let down or belittled or judged by somebody else. And so they had nothing to fear from each other. So at that point in their experience, openness, transparency, didn't carry any threat at all. But with their act of defiance against God, all of this changed. And that had a huge impact, not only on their relationship with each other, but also with God. So first of all, they tried to hide from each other. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. As a result of their sin, they could no longer trust each other to be selfless and loving. 
And as a result, they felt threatened and vulnerable in each other's presence, but also because of that sin. They knew that themselves, they knew themselves were guilty and unworthy of the love of others. And so they felt shame and embarrassment in each other's presence. They didn't want to be fully seen because of that guilt. And so they made aprons of fig leaves. Why fig leaves? Well, the only reason that I can think of is because they're quite large leaves. Not the best for making clothes, though. As we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, later in this chapter, God would provide more effective garments for them from animal skins. But at this stage, anything was better than the discomfort of being seen by each other. They didn't want each other to see each other. They desperately wanted to hide from each other what they had become. But they couldn't cover their sin with homemade clothes. And so it started to push them apart. And we see the start of that in our passage, as we'll see in a couple of minutes. But they didn't only try and hide from each other, they also tried to hide from God. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In the past, God's presence in that garden had been a wonderful blessing. The garden had been a place of unrestricted communion and intimacy with God as he walked with them. What an amazing privilege they had. It was a blessing later on offered to the people of Israel. This was the blessing of the, of the tabernacle and later of the, of the temple when God said, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. But for Adam and Eve, their sin had transformed the gift of God's presence into something to be feared. Because they knew that they disobeyed the Lord. They knew that they were not fit to stand in the presence of a holy God. And so they felt the shame, the pain of shame and guilt. And they desperately wanted to hide from God. But of course, trees couldn't hide, from, hide them from God. He knew exactly where they were and exactly what they'd done. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give nothing is hidden from God's sight he sees everything and that's something that we need to remember when we are tempted to try and hide from God to try and cover up our sinfulness before God we need to remember what David expressed so powerfully in Psalm 139 where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. 
we cannot hide from God. We cannot effectively hide our sin. Now, we might be able to hide it from each other a little bit. We might be able to put on the good clothes of respectability. We might be able to wear the mask of being a nice person. But sooner or later, sin drives a wedge between people. And especially the people that we're closest to. Numbers 32 says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. If our sin is not dealt with properly, then it will find us out. It will rear its ugly head. It will be seen eventually. And it will impact our lives. (coughs) And of course, we can't hide our sin from God. No amount of religious activity, no amount of good works, no amount of pious pretense, no amount of ritual or ceremony, or any other do-it-yourself righteousness can cover up our sin before a holy God. In fact, God says that all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Every attempt to hide our sin before a holy God just reveals our sin more and more. And so when we try and hide from God, we will find nothing but guilt and shame and fear. And that will push us away and wear us out and ultimately keep us from an honest and open relationship with God. This was David's experience. He writes about it in Psalm 52 when he tried to cover up his sin and pretend that just everything was okay between him and God. This is what he said. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was up heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That's his experience when he tried to hide his sin from God. It just wore him out and it just exhausted him. And God knows that. God knows that hidden sin just causes that problem in our lives. So he doesn't want to leave us there. And so he he invites us to step into the light of his presence and admit who we really are. And this is what God so graciously, so gently invited Adam and Eve to do. Look at verse 9 of our passage. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? It's like a divine game of hide and seek. Come out, come out, wherever you are. But a huge difference. Because of course God knew exactly where they were, didn't he? He could have just burst into that hiding place with blinding light and with terrifying power. But instead, God stood and waited and called out to them in tenderness and love. He invited Adam and Eve to reveal themselves to him. 
And he waited for him to answer. Then when Adam responded, explaining his fear because of nakedness, God asked him gently, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Of course he knew that they had. He knew exactly what had happened in the garden. But God again, graciously and gently invited them to honest confession. There is a day when God will summon this world before him. And everybody will be forced to come. John describes that day of judgment in, verse, in, in Revelation chapter 20. In verse 12, he says this, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Nobody will be able to hide from that day of judgment. Nobody will be able to hold back. Nobody will be able to cover up. But for now, this is the day of grace. This is the day when God is calling to the world to come to Him in humility and honesty. God isn't forcing Himself upon people today. He isn't demanding their presence and calling them to justice. When Jesus came, that's not what he came to do. He didn't come and force himself on people. Instead, he stood and gave the invitation, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so like the father in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, God stands and he scans the horizon waiting for his children to run back to him. And he's ready to run to them and just envelop them in his loving arms. As Peter said, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. For now God is waiting for the people of this world to come to him. And he's calling out to them. Where are you? But Adam and Eve were not willing to come to God in repentance. Instead, when they, when they were confronted by God, they resorted to a very familiar strategy of passing the buck. Look at what, verse, what Adam said in verse 12. The woman gave me, gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. One of you remember a few weeks ago when we read how Adam burst into poetry when he saw his wife for the first time. And he declared this deep connection with her. This is now bone of my bones. This is now flesh of my flesh. That deep connection of a perfect marriage. But now sin had got in the way of that. And selfishness had reared its ugly head. 
And now, in a desperate attempt to dodge the responsibility of what he had done, Adam pointed the finger at his wife. Said it was all her fault. And of course, we love to follow that example, don't we? (laughs) Now, now. When sin is highlighted, we instinctively want to blame somebody else. Our parents, our siblings, our friends, our teachers, our government, our enemies. In the selfishness of our hearts, it's always somebody else's fault. He made me do it. She made me do it. I wouldn't have done that if he didn't do this. Sound familiar? But God will not be persuaded by that. Paul wrote that God will give to each person according to what he has done. God will not blame us for what other people have done. But neither will he allow us to blame them for what we have done. We are individually accountable before God. But maybe you noticed in verse 12 that Adam actually went further here. That he didn't just blame his wife. Verse 12. The one to blame was the woman that you put here with me. He reminded God that Eve was his gift. And so if she was to blame, then ultimately, the ultimate fault lay with God. God, it's all your fault, really. Because it was you that gave the woman to me. And look what she's done. And again, many people use that excuse today, don't they? It's just the way that God made me. That's why I act like this. If God didn't give me these desires, then I wouldn't act out this way. Or if only God had given me what I really wanted, then I wouldn't have been tempted to take it for myself. Ultimately, God, it's your fault. You made the world this way. But again, God won't accept this defense. James 1. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. As human beings, we're not robots. We've not been programmed by God to act in a certain way. As human beings, God has given us the dignity of being able to choose how to behave. And so we are responsible before God about that choice. But then Eve got involved in this argument. Because she wasn't going to allow Adam to pass the buck to her. And so when she was asked, she replied, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And as with Adam, this is a half-truth, isn't it? 
because she had been deceived by Satan in the form of the serpent. But this doesn't mean that she was innocent of, of her sin. All the serpent did was question God's commands and tempt her to eat. It was Eve herself that selfishly chose to go against God's command. Again, many people have tried to blame Satan for their sinfulness. Even some Christians try that one. Oh, it's the devil that makes me do that. Oh, it must be a demon that does that. That's why I've got this problem. That's why I do this thing. And of course it is true that we are in a spiritual battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That battle is very real. But we cannot use that as an excuse for us to get off the hook. In his life, Jesus was confronted with the full force of the scams of Satan. But he never gave in to them. Hebrews 4 says again, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. It's a great encouragement to us. Because if we trust in Jesus, He can give us the help we need to overcome any temptation. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. But this also means that we can never excuse our sin. We can never say, oh well that temptation is just too strong. I just couldn't resist. That's just never an excuse we can use. Yes, Satan is a powerful adversary. Adversary. But he can only get a foothold in our lives if we let him in because of our sinful nature. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, No temptation has seized us beyond what is common to man. To man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I'm sure you've heard the old saying that the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the man and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. But the reality was that none of them had a leg to stand on. God held each of those people responsible for their actions. And we'll see next week how God Brought, the, brought them to face the consequences of their sin in the next passage in chapter 3. And the Bible warns us not to fall into the same trap. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 If we claim to be without sin If we claim to be without sin by ever trying to hide it, cover it up, Pass the buck onto somebody else. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, what should we do? 
What should we do instead of following the example of Adam and Eve here in the garden? What is the better way to deal with our sin, with our faults, with our mistakes, with our rebellion and our defiance against God? Well, I think there are three important steps I just want to highlight very briefly just as we finish. And these are important whether we're coming to God for the very first time in our lives or whether we're coming to God as believers in Jesus who have again stumbled into sin in our lives. So first of all, we need to take the responsibility. We cannot experience reconciliation if we try and hide or cover up our sin before God. And so we need to respond to God's invitation to come to Him, to openly admit our failures, accept our responsibility before God for actions, and confess our sin. Confession is so important for us. Listen to what Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We need to stand before God and admit our sinfulness. Take responsibility for our actions. Hold up our hand and say, God, it was me. I'm to blame. But secondly, it's not enough just to feel sorry for what we've done. It's not enough just to feel the the pain of regret or remorse. We need to go beyond that to repentance. To repent of our rebellion against God. Which means to turn away decisively from our sin and turn to God. This is what Paul's mes- Peter's message was in Acts chapter 3. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. First of all, take responsibility. Second of all, turn away. But thirdly, confession and repentance will alone will not bring reconciliation. We need a third stage. Because God is holy and just and that sin still needs to be punished. God is a just God and every sin committed in this world will need to be punished. So the third step is to trust in Jesus. Because He alone can offer full and complete forgiveness. Because the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. That's the only way for us to be cleansed from our sin. Only through Jesus. And so God's promise to us is that through faith in Jesus, if we confess our sins and He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So guys, I hope that none of us will follow the example of Adam and Eve. Or even these little cute little kids in the video. Instead, 
let's take responsibility for our actions and confess our sin before God. Honestly, openly, humbly. Let's turn away from our rebellion and repent of them. And turn to God. And thirdly, let's trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross and the power of his blood shed for us. And let's receive his full and free and instant and complete forgiveness.